Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is The Good Life, Part 6, Mercy, recorded Sunday, February 11th, 2024. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Since it is Super Bowl Sunday, as I like to call it, Dream on Niners Sunday, uh, I have a couple items for you to prepare, you know, just to prepare you, maybe, you know, to get your minds in place. So just to start out, I have a question for you Raiders fans, okay? All right? Where's the best place for a Raiders fan to watch the Super Bowl? The History Channel, that's where. So <laughs> Jeff Splatstoss are my, my good friend. That was just for you. Um, by the way, it's been a big, uh, a big news item week for the Super Bowl, as you know, in the NFL. NFL tries very hard uh, not to give competing teams uh, any home field advantage. That's why the Raiders, you know, that's why they're playing in Vegas right now. But, but anyway, to ensure that that doesn't happen, they determined that all future Super Bowls will be played in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Now, the Chiefs had quite a practice on Tuesday. Did you hear about this? Uh, Travis Kelsey, you might have heard of him. He decided to take his girlfriend, some girl named Taylor, to, to the practice and... And, and he told her to, to look out for number 41 because he's an up-and-coming player. He's, he's got potential. He said, watch that player. He'll be our best man next year. To which she said, oh, babe, that's a cute way for you to propose to me. I accept. <laughs> Just like that. That's how she said it right there. Yeah, dream on, you Swifties. Hey, I, I, look, you try to come up with stuff on Super Bowl Sunday and see how you do. That's all I have to say about all that, so... Now, we are in this series on the good life, and that's really what I want to talk to you about. Uh, we are talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and, and we've been already, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> several weeks of, of, of the Beatitudes, and, and we've heard it said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's really our simple understanding that apart from Jesus, I'm, I'm destitute humanly. And, and, and I need Jesus in my life. His kingdom is an offer to you and me that we can be a part of him, a place in his kingdom. And we've heard this said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And people of Jesus, we mourn over the things that destroy people. And namely, we mourn over the things that ruin our lives and our world. And we find resolution and hope in his ways, in his comfort. Then, then we also talked about how we're blessed if we're meek, because the meek inherit the earth. And to be meek is, is not a weakness. It's rather to have the status of humility before our holy God, his humble servants, that, that we want to inherit the promises that he brings to us. Then last week, Parker talked about how blessed we are if we hunger and thirst for righteousness that will be filled. And if you really want the good life, it's Jesus' righteous ways that will bring you the best kind of life. Now, none of those beatitudes, they stand alone. They all are linked together. You can't, you can't take one and say, I'll just live that out, and the other six, I didn't. No, it's, it's all together. You know, it's the good life. 
Let's talk about another one, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And when you think of mercy, what do you think of? I mean, I've been watching some of my favorite high school wrestlers, mainly on Facebook, but it's great. And, and I watch as they just dominate their opponent and their opponent's appealing for mercy and tapping out because my favorite wrestler is ready just to pull his arm from his socket, you know, tapping out. Maybe you think that that's what mercy is. Or um, maybe, maybe you have in mind that movie uh, Braveheart where William Wallace is on the, on the, on the block and, and, he, and, and the executioner says, just, just ask for mercy, just beg for mercy, and, and, and I'll give you a quick death. For you 49ers fans, it might be the moment when Patrick Mahomes kneels in the fourth quarter, and you'll say, oh, thank you, there's some mercy for us. And you're thinking right now, he is going to eat his words. Probably, I probably will. But as Christians, we have to understand that our relationship with God begins, is known by, and culminates in mercy. John Stott says this, none of us are remotely capable of perfectly carrying out these ourselves, these beatitudes. And that is precisely why we need his mercy. Mercy is to have compassion for sinners. Now, Jesus has plenty to say on this topic. I'm not going to cover it all today, I promise you that. But, but I, I know this that it is really an issue for all of us. You say, well, not me. Maybe you, buddy, but not me. Well, let me describe some things, and we'll see how you, how you do. Because I do think that we all are pretty good at seeing the flaws and faults of people around us and maybe ignoring some of those that we ourselves have to live in. And I think one of the problems might just be that we fail to understand our condition. James Hunter, an author and expert on American culture and religion, he says this, we Americans generally want to think of ourselves as good people. That, in many respects, is where trouble begins. Now, Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, I think he got this. As a matter of fact, he said this in Romans chapter 3 to show us what the situation of our condition brings to us. Romans 3, verse 9, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, that's everybody here, everybody everywhere, are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is, listen, no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. In other words, we still struggle with this whole thing of, you know, our sin, There's no one who seeks God. In other words, even though we're trying to pursue God, we still struggle with the idea that there's a God that I need in my life. We have turned away. They have together become worthless. That's what happens when we stay apart from God. There is no one who does good, not even one. In other words, in your life, my life, our life, none of us have perfected this thing called goodness, okay? He's reminding us that that will separate us from a holy God who is altogether good. He said, no one is righteous. 
not those beautiful teachers that are right now over there in Kid City with your lovely little children. They are saints, but they, ain't, they are also sinners. Certainly not me. Not even your blessed grandmother, as sweet as she was or is. You say, well, but, but wait a minute. I think I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. Well, either you're wrong or God is. I'm going to vote for God, okay? Here's a little exercise to help us understand this. Now, this is not a hand-raising or, like, this is a silent exercise. I'm just saying, it's silent. This is a thinking exercise, okay? You with me on this? But you got to do it with me. So you answer the question in silence for yourself. Okay, here we go. How many of you have ever told a lie? I mean, I'm just talking about, like, ever in your whole life. What do you call someone who lies? A liar, right? Have you ever put anything, a person, a thing, in a place in your life that should be reserved for your worship of God, ever? You know what that's called? Idolatry. Okay, have you ever stolen anything? I mean the smallest of things. You, you stole your sister's blouse when she was in fifth grade and you were fourth grade. I mean, the smallest of things. What do you call someone who steals? Call them a thief. Have you ever gotten drunk? I mean, just ever. What's that called? You're called a drunk, okay? Uh, you ever been unfaithful to your spouse? And now some of you are going, oh, thank goodness, I've failed. I'm 0 for 4 right now, but I'm okay there. But wait a minute. You know what Jesus calls the, uh, the, the lustful heart? He calls it adultery. That's what he calls it. He's going to talk about that for us in the sermon later. We'll talk more about that. Um, how about have you ever committed murder? Now you're like, oh, thank goodness. At least I'm, you know, there's, I'm, 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 I've failed the test so far. Not so fast. Jesus calls anger the murderous heart. In another letter that, that Paul wrote, it's in 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 6, verse 9. Here's what he says. Or don't you know that, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, or thieves, or the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And the point is that in comparison to our righteous Jesus, who lived out all things without sin, we're hopelessly sinners. And we need to understand the condition, because if we don't... I'm not trying to point this out, by the way, to have you drag your tail into communion and go, oh, I'm a worm. And, or, you know, you're going to drag yourself out to the car and say to yourself, man, that guy sure was hard on us, wasn't he? I mean, gee whiz, you know. I'm not, that's not the point. The point is we need to understand how desperately we need mercy. Until I recognize how bad I can be, I will never recognize how good he is. See, until I recognize and, and acknowledge my condition, I will stay in that condition. 
and I will not have a chance at the position that he offers me. His ample mercy. By the way, that same passage, 1 Corinthians 6, here's how he ends that little statement. And that's what some of you were. But you saw those baptisms today. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See that? By the Spirit of our God. It's not a passage meant to demolish your ego. However, your ego might need some work. It is to remind you where you come from and where he wants to take you. And he'll take you there. And he'll get you there by mercy. Mercy. Mercy brings the good life to us and to others. God promises that if we'll come to him for mercy, he will give us mercy. He will forgive us and cleanse us and and give us life to the full. And even when accusers cry about you before God, he says, you know what? I have no recollection of that. I don't remember that. But the scripture never tells us to forget. We need to remember because when we forget, we can become self-righteous, we can become judgmental, and ultimately we become unmerciful. And that's no bueno, no good. Because if you forget God's mercy, you will forget to be merciful. And all of us have been there at some level or another. It's reminding myself that mercy is precious. Now, I don't think we have a lot of time to live in regret. But in order not to live into regret, sometimes we have to remember. We need to be reminded of, of the greatness of our God. And you know, Paul was really good about this topic. He was, he was really an expert at it. And so his writings are really important on it. The New Testament, most of it is about Paul's track, track and mercy. Paul talks about his own condition outside of mercy, what it means to be thankful as a recipient of God's lavish mercy and forgiveness. Here's one of those places in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus my Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to this service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive this life we're talking about, this eternal life. See, he understood this, and then he actually takes it further. He said, not only am I a a grateful recipient of God's unlimited mercy, but he, he did this at least in part so that when I live out mercy, it gives glory to God. It brings people to him. It shows them that he's real and his mercy can work for them too. That's the kind of stuff I see here. See, there's things that merciful people do and they don't do. 
Like, one thing a merciful person doesn't do, we don't live in offended. You know what I mean? Like, we don't live in offended, in our day of outrage, in our, in our where there's an activist around, around, around every cause, you know, holding their pitchfork and their torch and ready to, to ruin people. You know what I'm saying? I'm offended. Well, who isn't? Really? You 49ers fan? I've already been really hard on you. So I'm, you could live there. You could be tweeting right now. This preacher is always making fun of the 49ers. Well, no. I, I love you. But, but look, I, we do this, right? I'm offended. Look, though. Please see this. When's the last time you asked yourself, how offensive am I? Right? Like, like maybe even without knowing it, how offensive are you? Because if you're the person with radar to be offended before Jesus saved you, your entire existence was offensive. Well, I don't want my God to be that way. Well, buttercup, your, my, our sin put his blessed son on a crucifixion tree so he could bleed out to cover us. You don't think that's offensive to him? That he had to go that to those lengths for us and realize he was willing to. Mercy covers sin. I like how Proverbs 17.9 puts it. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Unmerciful people want to repeat the matter. You, know, you really can't wait to repeat the matter. I have less than a perfect experience, so I put a scathing review on Yelp or on the Airbnb website. Let me tell you about my experience at your place. We hold an incredibly high standard as parents and as grandparents for our kids' teachers and their programs and their sports teams and their dance teams and their coaches and the referees that referee the, the, the activities they're involved in. And, and you see it all the time on social media. Someone's got some cause about that. I've been wronged. Rise up with me. Then your co-conspirators bubble message, you go, girl, you speak your truth. Oh, man, I don't know, guys. Love covers the sin. What does that mean? When someone offends you, how hard is it for you to say, you know what, I'm just not going to go there. Like, I have so much to be grateful for and thankful for from a God who covers me. I'm just going to cover that up. Jesus celebrates that kind of mercy, the cover-up. He's, he's happy to celebrate that with you. Isaiah chapter 43, 25. I, even I, this is God talking about himself. I, even I, he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. God takes the merciful blood of Jesus. He covers your sins. Now, I wallow in my sins sometimes. He says, what sins? Then I say, what sins? And he honors that when I do that. 
And merciful people refuse to live in offended. Okay? Now, another thing, merciful people let go, we release. In Matthew 18, Jesus told this magnificent story, and uh, I think it was addressed in in December, so I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I'm going to give you the highlights. He talked about how great the reservoir of God's mercy is by using this illustration. And and, and, uh, and, and it's a story about, uh, you know, a king or a ruler and this man who owes him this debt he could never hope to repay. It was so large. Just never, there's no way in the world he'd ever be able to repay it. And Jesus tells the story, so the king releases this man from that magnificent debt, that, that huge debt. And so it's really a great thing. You know, he walks out. He's a free man. He's not going to go to jail. He's not going to lose his family. He's not going to be a slave. He's not going to whatever. But he promptly goes out in the street. He sees some guy who owes him, you know, really chump change in comparison to what he'd just been forgiven. And it says, this is the terminology Jesus used, he grabbed him by the throat. I think that's really important. He grabs this debtor, owes him like 100 bucks, by the throat. The most vulnerable thing to do to another person is to go for the juggler. And that's what unmerciful people do. You find their weakness and you go for that. You do it in your marriage. You know, you're at odds with your spouse. And you've got something in your back pocket to use to pull out at just the right time to win the argument. You go for the throat. We do it all the time. Spouses do it. Friends do it. Enemies do it. We bring up the thing that you, you still haven't forgiven them for, even though you said you had, and you go for the juggler. That's what Jesus says about this. Let's be honest here. This is church. This is the place of honesty. We love stories when the most extreme thing happens when mercy is shown. Like, for instance, the story where there's a, there's a concentration camp officer, guard, who shows up at some event, and there's this Holocaust survivor who sees them and recognizes them as the one who brutalized people, and then that person forgives them. And everybody goes, oh, wow, that's amazing. It is amazing, by the way. Or, you know, it's the kind of thing where you know, when, when someone comes to church and everybody in town knows what they are and what they've been and how they've been and what they've not been, and, and then they, you come to Jesus and, you know, it's just an amazing story. It always is. It's always an amazing story. And so we love those stories, and we have no problem celebrating those stories. But what when they hurt me? What about that? I'm going for the juggler, that's what. I'm going to go right for the throat. That's what. You're going down. That's right. Because we quickly forget the great debt that we're forgiven. See, people who receive mercy give mercy. And my spiritual siblings in this church, just like the unmerciful servant in Jesus' story, we are prone to forget Yet we live in this overwhelming, never-ending, precious love of God, which we sing about. And that's just not a song we sing, my friend. That is a lifestyle we long for. And every day of our lives, we fight for. You know, I I was thinking about this this week, about the people in our church. As a pastor, we work with a lot of people. 
and we, we love people, and, you know, we want to help people. And, and, and I was thinking about the kind of people who, who really need our prayers the most. And you might think, well, it's probably, you know, the real deep sinners, like the ones who are, you know, are really blowing it in their lives, and, and, and they're disappointed and wondering if God could ever forgive them. Or it's the person who's really struggling with some sin and they just haven't been able to, with the power of God, be able to overcome it. They're still drawn back into it. Uh, let me tell you something. Those two words, disappointed and struggling, those are words of contrition. That's a good thing. I don't spend a lot of time praying over that. You know what I pray about? The uncontrite. The judgmental. The, the bitter who won't just let go, the unmerciful, the unforgiving. And it still shocks me, even to this day. You know what's the most shocking part about that is? Sometimes that's me. See, Jesus gives warnings about this. He tells us in, in, later in the book that we're studying from, in the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to learn from, he, he shows us how to pray. He gives us an example of that. And then he says after he teaches that prayer, he says something very important. He talks about forgive those who sin against you or trespass against you, and he'll forgive you for that. He says, and then he says, for if you do forgive them, my heavenly Father, my Father in heaven, he will forgive you. But if you do not, my Father will not forgive you. I'm not a smart man, but I'm pretty good with the obvious God says that my forgiveness from God is linked to my willingness to have mercy for you and you for me. You think that's easy, by the way? You think it's easy to live in forgiveness? Anybody? I, I will tell you, it is, for me, never easy. Like, it's a day-in and day-out thing that only by remembering what God has done for me and being, being, being willing to, to put that up against what it is that I need to do for you. You for me. See, there's no sin that God cannot forgive. But there might be some people he chooses not to forgive. And that's those of us who won't give it to others. A couple practical ways to cover in mercy. I'm just going to go very quickly at these. First of all, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. We're all struggling at some level. Try to believe there is good in a person, because there is. But you don't love them because of that. You love them because of the one who sees you and says, you know what, I see your flaws. I've forgotten them because of your willingness to come to me for forgiveness. Stop canceling people, okay? And then remember the warning of Jesus, that mercy given is mercy received. I like this statement. I don't know who said it. It's probably been said by thousands. You owe a debt you cannot pay. Jesus paid your debt that you no longer owe. That's the king on the mountain there. The king of the words. The king of the speech and the actions. Lord, I believe you are a king of mercy. You proved it. I accept your lavish forgiveness and mercy.
covering all of my sins, every one of them. I'm thinking of someone right now you could show mercy to if they'd let you. May they take a step toward your mercy today. Will they be let off the hook as you extend mercy to them? And as we commune today, may this be a time when we can remember that mercy has a price and you are willing to pay it, our God and our King. Jesus, amen. Blessed are the merciful, the reward is you'll be shown mercy. You'll be shown mercy. I think maybe one of the hardest things for us humanoids to accept is that we can be merciful and yet not receive it from other people. So I have to ask myself, is God's mercy enough for me? If you don't give it, I don't give it to myself even. This is mercy enough. I'm telling you, it is. His cross proves it's enough. His cross proves that you are his passionate mission. Are you ready to let him wash over you? You saw a good example of that today in our baptisms. Are you ready to step into mercy? We're here to help you, so let us, let us be that for you. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.